Okay, everybody first, welcome to the, uh, obviously I, I, I did this because it's been a while since I did live classes. I'm going to start again uh, with live classes. I thank you everybody for your support. Everybody knows what I went through with my son. So now I think it's a good time to continue. This class is on Mishmat, Yerachmiel, Daniel, Ben Gedalia. So we're going to take today a lot of questions. There's a lot of people are asking questions on, you know, we have a class every single day. Whoever's not on that, on the WhatsApp group, please join it. All the announcements and everything. We also have an event coming up in December 16th in a rooftop in Brickle. Last event was sold out. Um, it's going to be a singles class for Zot Hashem. And again, we're going to post um, any events, etc., on the WhatsApp groups. Whoever is not in the WhatsApp groups, um, we will send the link so everybody can join afterwards. Okay, so I think we have a few questions. So, so today I really wanted, a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. I really want to dedicate a good hour or something just to answer as many questions as I can. So these classes can get the greatest benefit from it. Okay, so I thought that there was, I saw a question there. What's the best tools for gratitude, right? Ariel, are you there? Yeah, so the first question is, what is the best way to practice gratitude and happiness? What's the most practical tools? Very good. The first, gratitude is a result of perspective. Um, so really the best, thing to, best way to practice gratitude is basically to work on your perspective. Um, the, basically, the formula is this way. When we increase self-esteem, we all of a sudden increase, God, the, the ego goes down. As our ego goes down, our perspective widens. So the more you work on yourself, the more you work on your ego, the more you work on uh, your expectations, the more you work on, you know, practically things that are getting in the way of your, of your gratitude, which is usually our perspective, um, that will allow you to see things completely different. Therefore, when you see things different, you'll be more grateful. Um, what I practically do is I do a, you know, I just do a daily Part of my part of my morning session is definitely I vibrate on gratitude. I vibrate on all the things that happened. Um, I thank God for my challenges. I thank God for my family. I thank God. So I, I start the day practically with a verbal gratitude. That's that's usually the first thing I do in the morning. But remember, if we're having a hard time with gratitude, it's because we're having a hard time with perspective. So as we increase our perspective, we widen our perspective. We are more grateful for everything. Uh, but to the extent that our perspective is very small, then what are we grateful for? Uh, another phenomenal book that I recommend you is, um, is Garden of Gratitude by Rabbi Rush. It will also help you just widen basically the perspective. Because remember, we don't want to just say thank you, thank you, thank you, and you're saying it like a, like a, ro like a robot. And you don't really mean it. Um, and that's the difference. We don't want to really believe in it. We only want to say it from the heart. And that's sometimes the best way to, to really do it. So again, when perspective changes, gratitude flows. But the one person that, that's the, the one thing that stops us from being grateful is obviously our ego or Yitzhahara. Okay, another, okay. Question, another question is that there's a viewer that wants to know where could they purchase your material and the books that you use to you know put right. your lectures together? Well, usually all the stuff that I... Um, all my book, all the stuff that I use is usually in breastlove.org. That's the website or Amazon, depending on the book that I use. It's usually breastlove.org. You can usually pretty much find all the lessons that I speak about. And God willing, the book, my book will be coming out eventually. I don't have a date yet. We're still thinking about the type of topic, etc. 
but all of these things, basically the majority of my teachings are coming from Rabbi Kramer, which is the Breslov Research Institute. And we can, I think, uh, really you can post the link, BRI. No problem. Institute.com, et cetera. Okay, the next question is, we sometimes yeah. talk about not to always look for stability. How can one balance with, without working and putting self-work, studying for a career? Etc. to find Parnassa with stability. Thank you. Right. I mean, Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 56 that stability and dot are very connected. I mean, dot means perspective, dot means wisdom. And he clearly says to the extent that we have dot, we have, we have stability. So what, we really, what you really want to do is something you're, you're, you're passionate about. Um, I always find that being passionate about something is very, very important. And then you have to learn as you go. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you there's a business that I've started that didn't start with, uh, you know, in instability. And little by little through work, it became stable. But I don't think things come with stability. I think you have to make it into stability. I think if you're looking for too much stability, there's a price for that. So usually you're going to get unstable things, and then your job is to make it into stable. That's our job in this world is to complete things. We want to look, we, we also don't want to have a job that um, doesn't test us because if we have, if we're not a little anxious at work where we're trying to you know, grow, then maybe you just, maybe you're too comfortable in that job and you're looking for too much stability, which, which when we have too much stability, then we, we really limit our, our growth. Okay. Next question. Can everybody hear me? Is the hearing good? Is the hearing good? Uriel, is the hearing, hearing good? Hello? Hearing is great. It's wonderful. Okay. I hear Next you. Question. Yeah. Great. So, what is Gedalia's schedule for Hitbodutut and Shachrit? I, I wake up usually at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I will start my, you know, his, I'll do, do Hitbodutut between usually four and six. Um, I'll do learning, I'll do preparing for the class. And then I go to chakras about six o'clock. I do, I go to chakras after uh, I do my morning routine. I've done that for uh, the past uh, 12 years. So usually I do the pregame stuff before because I know if I don't do this before chakrit, there's a good chance I'm not going to do it. This is just, there's too much going on. So I usually try to wake up before chakrit to definitely do this bodhidut. Rabbi Nachman advises that's really much, pretty much the same time because at that time, there's more mercy in the air, there's more clarity in the air, and there's a greater chance that you're able to get calmness and contemplation versus doing it at you know nine o'clock when your phone's ringing and, and the whole world is is noisy. Rabbi Nachman advises a specific spot, a quiet spot, and specifically the same spot. This way, you can you can connect constantly connect to that energy in that location. Okay, the next question is, how could one motivate their husband to pray, wake up early, and go to synagogue without coming off as his mom and being knowing? Yeah, it's, it's usually very tough. Um, spouses don't like to be told what to do. It's just, I, I, I've never seen that work. Usually when people are nagging, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't usually work. I mean, it, it usually has to come from somewhere else. I wouldn't advise the spouse to... You know, the spouse could do what the spouse could do is they could pray for them. 
but they could try to get maybe a friend to do it or a somebody else to do it because once you do it too much, you just it's pretty much going to build resentment. And not only will they not pray, but they'll start resenting you and all that. Anything spiritual is very hard to fix directly to, for one spouse to another spouse to say. Our job is really is to pray for them behind the scenes, but not instruct them what to do. And try to get somebody else to do it in a friendly, loving way. Okay. The next prayer is that's what I've that's what I've seen work in the past for the past 10 years. I've never seen the unless they have that kind of relationship where uh, it usually doesn't doesn't look good because the person's feeling he's being attacked, etc. Okay. Next question is how does one get clarity when faced with a major decision what i usually do is i first surrender i surrender to god's will first of all i accept the situation that i'm going through whatever situation i first you have to have acceptance after you accept it you, then you can surrender and then you can pray for guidance and then you have to pretty much after you do those steps you surrender pray for guidance, then you have to surrender the outcome. Because sometimes what you want is not what your creator wants, and that is part of the process that can actually get you to what you really, really want, etc. So some, we have to be very careful not to be tied to specific things. So I would I would also say, you know, I've had major, major decisions in my life. Some, some were good, some were learning experiences. So we, we don't want to sit there and have indecision. Better to have a decision and recognize either you're going to win or you're going to learn in the process. Um, that's usually the best decision, to just make a decision and learn on the process. There's a great book called How Fast, Fail Fast, Fail Often. It basically talks about that successful people spend more time getting going and making decisions than thinking about making decisions. So I would recommend you to have bitachon, trust, and just make a decision. Pray for it, make a decision. But surrender the outcome because what we think maybe could be something bad, it can actually be something really, really good. And this is why we don't want to sabotage, um, you know, having too much control by telling God, I want this to happen. Meanwhile, if that happened, it would be good for you. So there's a much greater, much greater, much greater plan your creator has. And you have to surrender to the outcome, make a decision, but surrender the outcome. Okay, the next question is. Basically, thanking you. Thank you so much for doing these classes and sharing your wisdom with us. The amount of wisdom I picked up is amazing. My question is, you talk about many things we start doing, whether it's tikkun aklali, chatzot, bodedut. When someone starts, it can, it can feel overwhelming to fit all that in your schedule. What would be the first action that one can take to build up the momentum? Well, depending on the problem. Depending on the problem, depending on the issue with that specific person is. So that's a really pretty much loaded question. You know, if the problem is the, you know, there's a major problem with sexual immorality, that's pretty much causing everything else to crash. So we want to really get to the core of the first thing that needs to be worked on. And that's usually the first, you know, you have to work on one thing at a time. Rafa does not tell you to, to do a thousand things. But with when I specifically speak to guys about sexual immorality, if you don't work on that, you're not going to get anything else. If you get that, you'll get everything else. It really depends on the situation of the person, what, what, what he's dealing with. Um, the person is praying for his spouse. He should, you know, he, he, his job is to 
you know, better work on his bodhidut, talk to God about the situation. Either way, you have to talk to God because there's nowhere else to run in this world but to run to God. And that's the only way where you're going to get the results. Now, doing his bodhidut along with Tukunakali shouldn't be so overbearing. I understand, but the overbearing is only because we're so, we're not seeing things clear. This is where our job is really to get going. And then the clarity comes as we go. We're going to see it's a lot easier as we go. Um, I've been saying Tikkunaklali uh, the past 25 years. No, 20 years, I've been saying it every single day. In the beginning it was very heavy, but like everything else, it's better to get going and, and you'll see the things will lighten up than saying it's too, too much for me. Because then you'll never really get gone. You also want to, you have to also realize you can handle these things. When I tell you guys to do things, you can handle them. The fatigue is only in our mind. We have to fight the fatigue. I think that was today's class. We have to get to, to the position to fight the fatigue. You can't always just say, oh, it's too much. I don't have a head. No, you, you have to get through it. You know, this is not, these classes are not for everybody. I'm telling you right now, they're not for everybody. But whoever does these classes and follows the instructions, I'm telling you right now, I'm getting guaranteed results across the board. It's not for everybody. You have to be really, really committed. And you have to be able to fight those dark days and fight the moods and fight. We speak a lot about this. You know, we can't just say it's too much for me. No, you have to get going. To get going. So practically, you could do maybe Tikkun Akali once a week. It's about to do 10 minutes, start small. But it's better to do something than to do nothing. And one of the ways that, like, you could start to learn how to do Tikkunaklali, that's how I advise a lot of people, is just by listening to the, to the YouTube recordings. And you could get familiarized with the words. That's one way that people could get familiarized by reading it, just by hearing it. For, for real, there's a, there's, a, there's just a simple concept in Judaism and, and in life. According to the struggle is the reward. We're not here to hand out free passes. We, we have to get through it. We just have to fight. We have to recognize how much we have to gain. We have to recognize the obstacles part of the solution. We have to find a way to get through it. And I'm telling you right now, when you recognize and you make a decision that there's no other option but to get through it, you will see heaven will help you. And when you say, I don't have a head for it, I can't do it, I don't have, then heaven's not going to help you. Heaven only helps those who want to help themselves. There's a passage that says, we strengthen the quicken. The quicken gets strengthened. Bottom line, you have to create that arousal. You have to create that intention. Then you'll create all the rest. But we don't always want to fall back on, on, you know, this mindset of, oh, I can't, I can't. That's not, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere in life. True. Okay. The next question is, I almost feel like no matter what I do in regards to Torah learning, I just never seem to get enough and I never feel satisfied because there's so much in Torah. What's, what's the best way to approach this lack? Right. So the, 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 we all, first of all, we have to recognize in life that we live in a world of lack. We don't, there's no completeness. We, we don't have a, there's no, we're nothing complete in this world. And the, there's a principle that the more you know, the more you recognize you know nothing. So it, it keeps you humble to recognize that you always want to learn more, but you'll always recognize um, the more you know, you'll recognize you know nothing. So there's really no satisfaction in that area because you're not supposed to be satisfied. Um, it's, you're never, it's not supposed to be upset about it. You're just supposed to recognize how great God is, how great the Torah is, and how much you have, you know, how much, how much you have to look forward to. But 
once you come to any level of knowledge, you recognize you know nothing. A practical level would be not just to um, learn it, but to also pray. Pray to be able to receive it. Pray to be able to, that it should be interpreted into you. You know, this is, Rabbi Nachman takes the example of Yaakov became Yisrael. You know, Yaakov represents the heel. Yisrael represents the head. So to basically taking the, our knowledge and taking it from potential to actual. So I would recommend that person to maybe start praying a little bit more to taste the sweetness of it, where he, he feels satisfied by, by, by creating something new versus, you know, whatever I learned, I'm never going to learn a lot. That's not what you, it's supposed to empower you, not drain you. Okay, the next question. Are ego and low self-esteem linked? And if yes, Absolutely. how do we unlink them? It's correct. It's guaranteed. It's directly linked. When you have low self-esteem, the first thing you do is you put up an ego. Because remember, when we have low self-esteem, we don't want to we don't want to get risk get hurt get hurt again. Well, so what we'll do is we'll usually blame somebody um, for our problems. We'll say this person caused me to do that. That's why I'm not successful. This one. But when you have high, when your self-esteem increases, you're willing to do anything in the world to fix it. You will not blame anybody. You will say, I'm the problem. I'm the solution. You will put more effort and you will build your self-esteem. But the, what ego does is it blocks, it's the Yetzirah, and it blocks your perspective and it doesn't allow you to see the big picture. So you always focus on yourself and your self-centered. So the ego, when a person is very egocentric, he's very self-centered. It's all about him. Um, you know, he's not going to take responsibility. When you're in your soul state, then you will start taking responsibility. So the, the way to do it is obviously building yourself up because the more you build yourself up, the more you will do anything. You'll be open-minded to try anything. But let's talk about somebody who's, who's not working on themselves. They'd rather make excuses than make adjustments by saying, oh, it doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. That doesn't work. Judaism doesn't work. This doesn't work because they're, they're, they have such low self-esteem. They don't want to take a risk of getting hurt again. So they'd rather just blame somebody to protect themselves, but it also it imprisons themselves. Okay, so the next a good oh. chance, a good chance that you're building your self-esteem is when you start becoming open-minded. That's that's pretty much the the more open-minded you are, the less self-centered you are. The more closed-minded you are, the more self-centered you are. So this is pretty much an open mind that you'll be able to see things through a different perspective. With a closed mind, you always see your narrow way of looking at something. Okay, the next question is. Uh, when starting a new job, there are a lot of obstacles and the beginning is very difficult with a lot of anxiety. What's the best way to handle this anxiety and to be able, be able to overcome the obstacles? Right. Anxi anxiety, sometimes in, in social anxieties, you think the whole world revolves around you. You know, people are, usually people don't pay so much attention to us. We think they do. It's called the spotlight effect. We always think that, you know, people are talking about us or how they fail, et cetera. This happens a lot when people start public speaking. They have a lot of fear of public speaking because they're always worried about what are people going to say about them. The best thing to do when, you, when you're handling a situation of a new job, you should say, I can handle this. Because anxiety is often your ability to handle that challenge. If you don't think you have the ability to handle a new job, of course, you're going to go into a threat mode, into a panic mode. But if you believe that you can handle it, it's a belief, then that new job will be a challenge for you. 
Understand? We want to convert threats into challenges. I'm excited about the new job instead of being anxious about the new job. And it's the same energy, but it now channels into excitement versus channeling into self-centeredness and anxiety, et cetera. Or fear of, you know, not succeeding or fear of, you know, you know not being good enough, or fear of getting fired, et cetera. So the next so usually, question. So usually not that, that, that particular person they're holding in too much fear. So they'll be anxious about a new job. They'll be anxious about a new relationship. They'll be anxious about a new home. They'll be anxious about pretty much anything because that's what they're holding inside. The outside is just triggering them what they're holding. So you really have to fix the internal problems, which is start trusting instead of fearing and in this situation. Okay, the next question is, I had a I had a spiritual awakening full of hope towards my father getting better and healed. I lost it all after he passed away. I can no longer pray, meditate, and exercise as I used to while I was connected. What's the best way to get back on the road? Listen, I, I, you know what I went through, obviously. Um, you know, there's time. There's a time to grieve. You know, you have to grieve. You have to feel, and you have to heal. So there's a time to grieve. You know, you have to you have to grieve. You know, I don't know how long this was, but usually it's very important that. We give it the right meaning. You know, the meaning that I gave particularly to my son is God gave me a beautiful child for 15 years. He deposited him in my hand, in my, in my hands. And thank God I had beautiful, I was, I was gifted 15 years instead of lo losing the child, which is again, it's, it's a Superman perspective. But at the end of the day, we have to believe in reincarnation. We have to believe in missions. We have to believe in a bigger picture. Um, is it, do I get triggered? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But I can always look at it and always say, you know what? It was gifted to me. It was gifted to me. It was a gift from my creator. He did his mission. He's in a better place versus I lost something. And that's something that really, really helped, helps me, um, you know, take that push, take those triggers and really recycle them, et cetera. And what we could do for him practically is you could do a lot of things for him down here. You can give charity in his name. You can give classes in his name. You can do a lot of good in his, you can elevate him below. So when he's in heaven, he gets more benefit by you taking action and doing things for him than sitting in being, God forbid, brokenhearted or depressed. What can you do for him? Nothing. We can only do as much as we can for, for our loved ones that passed away by doing things for him so your your, your creator or what your father would want you to do more for him than to sit and be depressed that's not what he would want and i think that's exactly what you did today so you're on the right track yeah it's it, it still hurts it's painful um but you need a, you need a lot of strength you need a lot of prayers you need a lot of you need a lot of strength it's not an easy thing to go through. I, I, for my challenge was tremendous challenge but again you know this is what i learned all day you know, Rav Nachman, once somebody came to Rav Nachman, somebody was dying of a very, of a, uh, God forbid, of a sickness. And he's saying, what are, you, what are you worried about? That world is much better than this one. He told him like that. And, he, and Rav Nachman said death is, he considered death from moving to the living room to the, to the, to the dining room. It, it's just our illusion of this that makes us, uh, God forbid, born to a very dark place. 
Okay. The next question is, I've been doing Hidbodidut for over two years, Baruch Hashem. Is it recommended to say it on Shabbat and Yom Tov? And if yes, do we just focus on praying and gratitude, on praise and gratitude and not request for things because you can't ask for things on Shabbat and Chagim? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things to ask for uh, in life. There's, you, want, you, want, you want Hashem to help you have perspective. You want Hashem to help you, you know, connect to the holiday. Yeah, you want to focus more on spiritual things on Shabbat versus financial or physical things. Correct. But if you're doing his Bodhidharma for two years, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous growth you're having. You'll have tremendous miracles from that. So how does one do Hidbodha Dude and how long it should take ideally? Right. Again, his Bodhidharma we speak about many times. Bodhidharma means peaceful death. To, to talk to your creator in private. The whole purpose, if we believe it or not, is to get close to our creator, to have a moon, etc. So when we talk to our creator, we're recognizing that we have faith in him. You don't have a communication with your creator it recognizes that you don't have faith. Faith, is, faith and prayer pretty much are synonymous. If you have faith, you pray. So his bodhidut is ultimately an expression of your faith, believing that what you say can actually have an influence in, in heaven. That's the first thing. This bodhidut also allows you to do constant shuva. It allows you to constantly come closer to your creator and tell him how, you know, the, the mistakes you make, the errors you make, the, your ability to want help in certain areas. So that also helps you deal with, you know, God forbid the person getting, you know, let's say a person's arrogant and he has a yetzahara for arrogance or his yetzahara for a- anger. But if the guy goes every single day, in fact, tells the creator, Hashem, please, I'm, you gave me this midah of anger. I can't stop getting angry. I need your help. That person will not be as punished, will not be punished as much when he gets angry because he's asking for help. So what you're really doing when you're doing this bodhidut is you're really, really mitigating a lot of judgment because you're taking responsibility and recognizing there's faults. There's situations here that need to be worked on versus, you know, People just denying, denying their issues and just pretty much, uh, you know, saying, uh, I don't have this problem. Your creator wants you to get closer to him and he wants you to get closer to him through these issues. To the extent that you get closer to him, he cancels punishment. This is why our sages say that punishment was only created in an absence of teshuvah. So his bodhidut allows you also to contemplate, to settle your mind, to let things go, to, um, you know, to connect to your creator, to show your creator, to also to show your creator that there's nowhere else to run in this world. That's another thing. You're basically making a proclamation. Hashem, I know you are the only solution that I have. And I'm going to talk to you. And if I'm holding things in, if I'm, there's worries that I have in my heart or I have a burden in me, I'm going to come here and just go to do And I'm going to do exactly what you tell me. And I'm going to cast it upon you. And I'm going to give up control. I'm going to surrender personal control to personal peace because now you're going to handle these things for me. I came here to do that. So basically, you're unwinding all your pain to him. You're asking him for help. You're doing teshuva. You're being grateful. And you're basically checking in. You're checking in and you're displaying emuna. So there's so many benefits to it. I mean, it's, it's a, power, it's a power, power, spiritual power workout because the benefits you get from it is, you know, you, you get... You, pretty much are not going to get reminded. If I have a problem with humility, I'm, I don't need somebody else to insult me to tell me, humble yourself. If I tell Hashem, listen, I need to humble myself. I need to work on myself. 
He's not going to send messengers to show me the lessons that I know I, I already need to work on. We have many classes on this boat that particularly, um, we, you can look them, look them up on YouTube, etc. But this is just a little synopsis, pretty much what his body did this. Okay, the next question is, with all the things that are happening in the world today, do you still think it's important to reach goals like buying a home or building a business? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is all media. This is all free or tactics. You don't have to live in that world. Practically. I mean, I went in the middle of COVID and I bought a hotel. It was the greatest purchase that I ever made. We don't have to get caught up in this nonsense of fear and, 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 and worry and scare. This is not the way we live. We're, we're, we're above nature. You can live above nature. And this is something you need to remind yourself. We're not, if you, if you lose, if you don't have bitahon, if you don't trust in God, yes, then you're going to fall to this, the chaos of this world. But you can live above it by having a different frequency, by having bitahon and emunan Hashem, and you won't get caught up when you recognize all, all of this stuff is political control. It's all chametz. It's all there to just to confuse you and make you depressed. There's no reality to it. Okay, so the next question is, when do we know what we're doing is right and if it's right for us? It's, it's a pretty much loaded question. When do you know it's right? What you should do again, anything you, you want to do, what I recommend you is consult with your creator. That's it. As long as you check in and you ask for help, whether you do it, whether, you, whether you, you're successful or not successful, it could be part of the process. We don't want to second question ourselves. We want to have a very simple relationship with your creator. The creator did not make you into a, um, where you have to solve puzzles every single time. He just wants you to have simple faith. You have an issue, come to him, speak to him, talk to him. Work on, focus on your simplicity. Don't always second guess. Many times, again, I make mistakes, but I'm not sitting there in anxiety over why I did the right man. No, I learned. I made a mistake, I did. If I didn't make a mistake, if I made a mistake, I, I learned from it. That's it. I'm not going to sit there and hold these. The past is not going to hold me back. Also, you shouldn't also be worried about the past holding you back. You have to be able to be resilient and get over these these challenges, whether you make the right decision or you don't make the right decision. I mean, this is a person who went through a divorce, who had business failures. And the only thing that helps you is, is, is moving. You gotta, you gotta keep on moving. That is really the, the key to success. Is what, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Is one allowed to read Tikkun Klali at night? Some opinions say yes, some opinions say no. But if you missed it, do it that day. But it's better to do it in the morning. Better to do it in the morning. But I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've seen rabbis do it at night. Um, I've seen it. Okay, so do it at night. So you mentioned getting up early in the morning. So what's an ideal time to go to sleep? I go to sleep. Uh, before 10. Because remember, guys, the quality of your sleep before 10 is much better. You know, you, you, the science behind it, any, any sleep before 12 is definitely better, more beneficial. Um, and also, you have to recognize the night itself is judgment. 
the night is, is, you know, this is the time where, you know, you can start watching Netflix for three, four hours. It's one o'clock in the morning. It just creates a bad, it's a bad, bad, bad wake up calls in the morning. So what I try to do is I really recognize I'd rather go to sleep earlier, which is, you know, 10 o'clock and I'll get up at that hour and have I'll be plenty, you know, completely but yes, I, sometimes I go out to dinner, sometimes I go out to weddings, whatever I have to do those nights I don't. But the majority of the time, you want to go to sleep earlier because you're going to get up early. You're going to, you're going to, first of all, you're going to not waste time at night and, and you're going to wake up in the day already with a tremendous head start. And that will do tremendous benefits for you. But again, 10 o'clock latest, I go to sleep. There's no point. 11 o'clock, what, what, what are we doing that we need to do at this hour? There's no point. You know, Tom Brady, very successful people do not go to sleep at one o'clock in the morning. Is absolutely not. You have to watch your time. So, what should one do when they feel that the prayers aren't working? The prayers always work. It's just the the packaging sometimes we don't like. We said that today. What you should recognize is you should let go of any expectation. You understand? Usually, prayers usually prayers sometimes become very heavy. If we have an expectation or watching the scoreboard, what you want to do also is you want to figure out how to pray. You also don't want to say, God, please change your mind, change this. No, you want to say, change yourself. What areas in your life can you change in yourself? Pray to learn something new. Um, pray for spiritual things. Usually when you pray for spiritual things, you end up getting them all the time. So it could be that person's only praying for physical things, not praying for spiritual things. And they usually are praying, just give it to me, give it to me. It's not a dog. You, you really want to pray for spiritual things. The spiritual things become physical things. You know, if you want to have, if you want to make more money, Hashem, give me more bitachon. More bitachon is going to lead you to making more money. More, more trust will lead you to making more money. Hashem, give me Yeshua Dat. If you have Dat, you're going to make more money. Uh, you're going to be more calmer. You're going to have more clarity. You understand? You want to pray for spiritual things, the spiritual things become manifested in physical things. Okay, so this is a question from a viewer who recently lost her father. How do I ditch the sorrow and depression fully after the loss of my father? It's been 18 months and some days. It still pulls me under. Thank you. Again, we, we have to attach. It's very important that Judaism talks about Gilgulim missions. And, you know, there's more than, you know, just the, the body is gone, but the soul is eternal. Um, you have to recognize there's a lot more going on than just the person dying. Um, this is where one of, you know, Manus Friedman has great books on that. Educate yourself a little bit on, on the after body experience, what happens. And you recognize that you will do more, if you answer the other question. You do more for them when you're happy, they're happier in heaven because they can't do anything. And if we're sor sorrowing and sadness and depression, they're not getting any benefit. You're only giving them benefit if you do acts for them, such as saying brachos in their name, such as giving charity in their name, sponsoring classes, learning, doing good deeds in their name. This tr has tremendously more power in having what they're doing than sitting home being depressed over what, why God did that to us. That's, that's not something that you're going to get any consolation. So you first, you have to, to recognize that God has a much bigger picture. And I'm telling you, believe me, this is something I went through. The only reason I was able to go through it 
and be able to come through it when I, how I did is because I, I attached the right meaning. I recognize this world is temporary. We're not here forever. And we shouldn't recognize, we should also know that there's a, there's a better place. And, there's, and but what we can practically do is do as much things below to help the souls above. And that's not going to happen with sadness and depression. It's going to happen with simcha and, 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 and mitzvot. Okay, so the next question is from our post earlier today, which we posted. It says, Rabbi Natan advises us that if we can't come to joy at the present moment, we should borrow it from the future. Faith until you make it. And the question is, how do we borrow from the future? By believing in God's mercy that he was, he's going to save you and he's going to, you're going to have good times ahead. That's what faith is. Believing, thinking greater than you feel. Believing that he's going to give you Yeshua. The belief itself allows you to see it. As a, we, we say this all the time, believe it and you will see it. But if you're stuck on this, I need to see it to believe it, this is why we can't do that. So if we believe that God has saved us many times, why will he not save you again? Why will he not save you again? So you, we can constantly ask Hashem for miracles. We can ask, we believe in, in, in his kindness that he's going to provide for us. This is a loving God. He created the world in order to, to give. Why wouldn't he give you? So when you have that simple approach, then you could start celebrating in advance. Are we all good? Yeah, the next question is, could you please uh, speak about the 40-day challenge and el elaborate on it? Is this a guy or a girl? It's as anonymous, I don't know. So take both routes. Basically, the number one cause of much spiritual depression is spilling seed, masturbation, pornography, immoral sexuality. This is what causes pretty much the biggest darkness. Why? Because the same potential you have to make children, if a child is not made, or if it's not used in the appropriate way, then unfortunately it becomes a shed or a demon or a negative force. These negative forces attack a person make a person tremendously depressed, you make them anxious, you lose focus, you start you know, having a, a, a negative ruach, it's a klipa. So what we're trying to do, specifically with men, is the reason why they're so distanced from Judaism and they feel the way they are, it's not because of their soul, it's because there's a lot of klipot, which means shells or obstacles or these negative klipot that are on them. So Rabbi Nachman recognizes this is a major issue that people are going to have this. He even said back then that three quarters of the world has this issue. And this issue has the ability to depress you and completely, completely take you out of the game. So when he advises to do the 40-day challenge, which 40-day challenge is to go to, is to stop doing this and to say tikkun akalali for 40 days straight. And little by little, we can start taking these layers and start creating momentum. Just look at the science behind this problem also. People are doing this or watching pornography. Your brain is connected to pornography, 200% dopamine. You can't maintain that level of dopamine. So what happens is you need more and more to maintain it. And what happens is your mind just gets completely, completely depressed. It's pretty much taking, like taking a child on a space mountain ride and then telling him to go on the teacups and telling him, can't you see the beauty in the teacups? You, you, 
our brains can't handle that, that, that amount of stimulation. So this is an area that Rabbi Nachman says that if we're able to work on this area, everything else will open up to us, such as relationships, such as money, such as happiness, such as spirituality. This is one of the biggest areas that causes darkness. I myself had this issue when I was 22 years old. I picked up a Tikkun Klali, I started doing it and it absolutely changed my life. So I, there's a reason why I went through that, but I know what it is to go through that darkness and you feel like you lost yourself. You feel like you feel complete despair, complete anxiety, your mazals, nothing's working. It's just, it's a, it's a very dark cloud. So what I specifically speak about is starting there before we deal with any of the other issues. Because this is the area that has the most, most predominant area for spiritual damage, physical damage, and emotional damage is this area. So this is why for guys, you gotta do this. It's non-negotiable. You have to stop watching porn. You have to stop doing all this. It's non-negotiable because you're never gonna get anywhere in life if this is not fixed. And I'm the only one doing, I'm the only one talking about it like this. And I'm a very modern guy. So I'm telling you, it's not something you can't do. You could do it and it'll change your whole life. But I'm, and this is why I talk so much about it because you see the singles crisis. You see what's going on in the world. It's, it's a mess. But the only way to fix it is to get really the guys to get back in the game. Okay. So the next question is, this person has struggled with Shumirata Breed for a long time and recently got on a streak. How long should he, you know, continue the streak before he starts dating? I mean, you could start dating as long as you have a, you know, you have to recognize if you're married, you're looking, you're dating somebody potentially to marry, if you're, you know, if you're dating somebody to sleep with them, um, you know, that's going to screw up your soulmate. <laughs> And girls see that. Girls can see that negative energy when a girl, when a guy, is, they can see that. The whole thing is, you don't understand that. When you're on a date with somebody, they feel your energy. So to the extent that you cleanse yourself in this area, you will have a different energy on a date. And people will, will like you more and they'll see more of you instead of seeing the darkness in your face. So it's, you, you, you could start dating when you feel you're ready to, to have a real relationship without you know, relationship for love, not lust. Basically, when you're when you're out of lust mode. Okay. And remember, and we have to also recognize that the reason why this this habit is the number one the problem is is because of of, of, of lack of faith, or we, we had areas in our lives, you know, God forbid, there's areas that people were abused or people went through tremendous challenges and they lost themselves, and, they, and, and because of the sadness, it led them. To, to escape with this problem. And this problem now becomes a bigger problem than the original problem. So you can see how much, how much this affects, how much this definitely affects us. Okay, so what's the first thing one, a person should focus on when they're starting to do Hitbo the Dude? What's the best way to fire off his, his Hitbo the Dude when you're starting it? Right. The first thing you could do is, I want to have a relationship with you. Creator of the world, I want to have a relationship with you. We've spoken about his ability to do. People keep on telling me how good it is. They'll tell me how I should talk to you. I want to talk to you, but I have nothing to say. Even though I have this issue, even though I have that issue, Hashem, but I have nothing to say. I'm sitting here mute with nothing to say, talking like a wall. Open up my heart. Basically, you're telling him how you feel exactly at the moment. <laughs> 
This is what's going on in your life. His brother is about being real. God, I hate you. I hate what you're doing to me, but I'm still coming to you. You understand? You just, you want to unload your heart and talk to him and recognize that you're in pain, whatever you're going through. Every, my, every single he's supposed to do for me is a different part of my life. One day it's about my children. One day it's dealing with my, you know, helping, helping me heal from my son's, uh, my, son's, my son's death. Every day I have a different emotion that I have to de deal with. Other times I've become tremendously inspired. And I just said, you know what, forget about me. Let me pray for the whole world today. You know, other times there's an issue in business. So there's always something that's going to get your attention in heaven that you want to come closer to your creator in that issue. It always changes. Ramasa says the situation always changes. It's not, it's, not, it's not an Amazon Echo or robot. You're always going to have a different situation that life is going to challenge you with that you're going to ask your creator for help. So there's no one-shot thing. This is why whatever's on your heart, pour it out. Pour it out. And the reason why it's so difficult to supposed to do is because the what you get out of it is unreal. I mean, you could I don't have to tell you anything. You guys know how many classes I've produced. And that is not from my own to deal. That's because constant talking to Hashem, what should I talk about? Giving me ideas. I mean, you got you got 1,200 classes every single day doing a class, you know, coming up with a new class every single day almost. While you know managing five, four kids and businesses and etc., it's, it's almost an impossible thing. But if you have that area of disposable dude, God just downloads your information. And sometimes I don't feel like talking; I'm just too stressed out. Then I have to start putting on music um, and just getting in the mood, and then I'll start. It's a it's a different thing every day. Every day it's a different. It's not, there's no there's no every day is a different challenge. Okay, the next question is, what is the best way to blend two divorced families? To blend two divorced families? Two divorced families. You need a lot of mercy. You need to practice. I would say both of them should read the book, Tomer Devorah. And then together, and then go into the situation because you have to talk about mercy and, and you know you, you're dealing with other people's children you know, it, it's all kinds of things can happen it's very difficult i'm going to be honest with you i, I know what i'm dealing with I, it's, just, it's not an easy thing to go through and in order to do that you really have to be selfless and really work on compassion and empathy for the other person what they're going through and be less self-centered but easily said than done so i rec recommend tomer devora tomer devora is a phenomenal book on just how viewing other people, giving them mercy. And when you give other people mercy, you get mercy in, in results. Okay, what, what could you say about men going to the mikveh? It should be a daily thing, weekly thing. What's Rabbi Nachman's advice in regards to the mikveh for men? Right, I practically go every day. Um, it gives you, mikveh gives you dot, it gives you cleansing. It reduces judgments. It's a phenomenal thing to do. It, it, it basically gives you, makes you focus. Um, obviously, it depends on how far the person lives also. But it's strong. Reb Nachman says he would not make a decision before going to the mikvah. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if I don't go to the mikvah and I do a class, it's a different class. When I go to the mikvah, I have more clarity. Mikvah gives you clarity. 
gives you clarity and gives you dot. And it takes away, takes away uh, the judgment. Very beneficial. Okay. The next question is, what are your thoughts on the mind-body connection from the healing aspects, especially? If you have stuck emotions, could they be reason for pain? Could they be the reason for pain? Absolutely. 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 Whatever you hold in your mind manifests in your body. And your mind is in a higher calibration than your body. So you have placebo effect, all that. I, I'm a very big believer in that. You know, Bruce Lipton uh, has the science behind this. Um, Joe Dispenza has the science behind it. Rabbi Nachman talks about it in less than seven, that it's all spiritual and you can heal through a muna. Absolutely. I'm very into that. You can heal through faith. Faith heals. Rabbi Nachman says the main cause of healing is simcha, and the main cause of sickness is, is sadness. So clearly, it's an emotional thing. And every emotion also has a different organ tied to it, such as anger is tied to the, to the liver, um, the lungs are tied to grief, um, kidneys are tied to fear, um, the kidneys are tied to fear, the spleen is, is tied to overthinking and, and sadness. So you, even every single organ has a specific emotion that has, is the dominant emotion in that organ. The heart, the lungs, absolutely, it's very, very connected. So going back to the 40-day challenge, there's a follow-up question. So what would the path be for women struggling with, you know, watching whatever they're not supposed to be watching? Right. And it doing it would be the same thing. It could be the same thing. Because, again, you still have the dopamine thing. You still have the dopamine, the high levels of dopamine. You need the dopamine detox. And that's just the science behind it. But when you're watching those things, it's very hard for you to connect spiritually because you're going to feel shame. And that's the problem. Because when you're watching that stuff, now you want to go pray, you're going to feel too much shame. You're like, I can't open this book. It puts it in my head. So it, it blocks the prayers. So I would also recommend that person to do the 40-day challenge. And again, let's, let, let me recall something very quick. I, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you. Doing, I'm just here to help you. That's the difference. This is a non-judgmental situation. I don't tell people how to dress. I don't, tell, I don't judge them because I know I know where I was at. So this is, there's no judgment behind it. This is why when people ask me things, they ask me real things, because this is, what, do we, what do we need to hide? You know, we need to fix, we need to fix them. We need to express exactly what's going on in our lives. Otherwise, we can't fix things that are in the closet. <laughs> so for that person, definitely recommend the 40 the Tikkun because Tikkun is also spiritual antidepressant, according to Rabbi Nath. So the now, same- and obviously recognizing the reason why we're doing that. What, why are we seeking this kind of uh, dopamine? You know, It's because we're sad. There's a sadness area in our lives that this is trying to fix. The pornography becomes the, the solution to the problem, which is escape to fantasy dopamine, which ends up becoming worse than, than, than they have. Again, we have two issues. So basically the same way that men could attract these negative husks, the woman could attract these negative. Sure. I mean, and, and just, just, just the science behind it, you know, you have, you have high levels of dopamine when you're watching porn, you, you have the levels of dopamine, go, go, the science behind it is they go up 200%. So how could you maintain 200% dopamine? You can't do it. So this is why there's all kinds of varieties 
of the Coolidge effect. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to do something small, you, you just, you, you used to, it's like a drug. You used to, you're depending on too much dopamine, which you can't maintain. If I want to get dopamine, I have to go work out, hit a goal. I have to earn that dopamine. But if I'm watching TV for 10 minutes, and next thing you know, my brain goes on 200%. That's not earned. I can't, I can't maintain that. I can't maintain that dopamine. Same thing as cocaine, same thing as drugs. Same problem. Same reward center in your brain called the nucleus accumbens that lights up. So just forget the spiritual. You also have the science behind it telling you the exact same thing. So Gedalia, basically the same way that these husks bring confusion and brain fog, they could mislead a person also, right? In their path in life? Well, there's three clipot particularly that these things cause. One is called the flashing fire. Flashing fire means an impulsive, emotional, you can't control your emotions. You're always angry. You're always irritable. It's a constant, like a flashing fire impulsiveness. Uh, that's one of them. The next one is called the Ruach Sahara. Ruach Sahara is a, a, a very dark storm wind, which is a, a like a, just having a constant depression, a constant sadness, never being able to see anything you know, anything good in life. It's a ruach, a ruach of sa'ara, a ruach of depression, a ruach of sadness. And the third one is a great cloud. Great cloud is, is referred to today, a brain fog. Brain fog. Not, 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 not having any clarity. There's no clarity. I'm a brain fog, I would say. Okay. The next question is, if we leave it all to God, how is it meant to be done? then maybe we should just sit home and do nothing. That's not, that's not what God's telling you. I will bless you in everything that you do. You have to do. Don't be saying leave it all to God. It's getting to a point where you, you've tried everything and that's when you surrender. If if God blesses everything that you do, not by sitting home. So it's definitely not, never, nobody's ever said that. That answer. I will bless you. You have to make a shabbat. Person has to make a shabbat. Has to make an effort, and he he gets blessed based on how he shabbat. It doesn't mean you're always going to be successful in your efforts. God God blesses the reward. God blesses the outcome. But you still have to make a shabbat. The person could make could take ten hours on one business deal, or he could spend five minutes on a phone call. He could make one minute phone call. They can make ten hours on a business deal. We have to make a shtablut, our creator blesses of his shtablut. Okay, so how would you define the difference between a challenge and a punishment? Because a lot of people can differentiate between the two. So what's the difference between something that's a challenge and something that's a punishment? It's never a, I I would like to use the word instead of punishment, cleansing. Cleansing is a better term than a punishment. Because ultimately, it's cleaning you. When you suffer, you're getting cleansed. So you're not really, it's not a punishment. It's a cleansing. It's a cleansing. It's a form of getting your attention. If your creator's knocking on the door, you don't answer. Then he's got to knock on the door louder and louder. Then you don't answer. And then all of a sudden, the door door gets knocked over. And you're saying, why are you punishing me? Well, I tried to get your attention a few times. So you create your higher self always does whatever it takes to get your attention. But if you're not listening, the, no, the, the 
the call gets louder and louder. So yeah, punishment, I would say if the person's not listening, he gets, he gets, a, he just gets a bigger cleansing. But I wouldn't like, I don't like the word punishment. I like the word cleansing. Better. Okay. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to find their soulmate? And this is coming from a woman viewer. She's female. She's asking this question. Right, we're, going, we're going to have a class on December 16th, uh, William Brickle. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's a big question. This is why I'd rather there's a few classes that I've done already. Um, you know, just some things I would say is, you know, what is your intention in the marriage? Are you coming to give? Are you coming to take? Um, you know, another thing is loving yourself, you know, becoming the one instead of looking for the one. Usually in life, we, we do much better when we become the one and we vibrate love. People want to be around us. It's much easier to find people when you're in it, when you're yourself, know who you are, versus always looking for people. You understand? We want to attract, not search so much. Um, but, but again, that's a, we could be here for hours in that question. That's why we'd rather address it on December 16th. We could give her other classes also to listen to. Okay, the next question is, Gedalia, I'm praying three times a day. I'm Shomer Brit, and I'm trying to become a better person, yet still I'm anxious. How do I control my anxiety? You could, you could be a, it means you, you're still trying to control the outcome of things. So you have to get praying. And the more I, the more I, I, I connect in the moment, you understand what is anxiety really? Anxiety is really not being in the moment. Um, when I'm doing something and I'm focusing exactly what I'm doing, time does not bother me. Time only bothers me when I think I should be somewhere else than I am right now. Let's say right now there's a heat game that's on, which there is, but I couldn't care less. I would be like, okay, how many more questions? I'm anxious. Okay, where are we? Are we done? We're done? Because my head's on the heat game. My head's not in the class. But when we're not in the class, when we're not where we are, we always think we need to be somewhere else. So that's always that anxiety of never being in the, I'm not in the right place right now. I feel like I'm not, I could be doing more, could be doing less, but at the end of the day, we keep on going from one moment to another moment. So it's very, very important when you pray, Hashem, connect, I want to connect to you. Forget prayer, I just want to connect to you. And when you recognize, when you start connecting, you won't even call it prayer. You'll, 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 you'll be like, wow, what an experience I had. And that will take away your anxiety thoughts. Anxiety is always very usually rooted and always being in the next moment, running, 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 running to nowhere. So you have to slow down and recognize that time does not exist. Time only exists in an absence of consciousness. So I recommend that person to get be more in the moment, and you'll see that anxiety will will you'll be completely. It'll help you. If that's the end. If, if that person, no, there could be other issues such as fear. There could be other issues that the person going on in life. But what, what, when I've seen practically in areas that I've got anxiety is when I'm not in the moment, when I'm focusing on something else while I'm doing something else. And that's the reason why I have anxiety because I'm not, in the, I'm not in the moment. It's teaching me that I have to be more focused in the moment and not somewhere else. Okay. The next question is from a viewer. Thank you for your classes and wisdom that you share with us. How can I do Teshuvah and ask for forgiveness for the people that I bullied in my childhood? When it is hard to remember, remember who I hurt, how can I do teshuva for the women that I've dated in previous relationships? Right. 
I think that the, when your creator sees your intention is to do better and you're working on yourself and you can't reach the people, that, that itself is a forgiveness. Embarrassment forgives you. When you the, one of the greatest forms of, of forgiveness is being embarrassed for one's sins. Our sages say a person who's embarrassed over what he did, he is forgiven. So the fact that you're embarrassed and you did some wrong things and you need to work on yourself, that itself is a forgiveness. Obviously, if you could meet the people, you should say, I'm sorry to them, but the fact that you have remorse and you're embarrassed, that itself is enough. Okay, so with so many books available on Rabbi Nachman, where should one start his journey? Which book should they pick up first? I mean, there's just, you know, so many books that have, they have different, you know, if you want to know about his life, um, you could pick up a book called Wisdom. Um, which is a great book, which is pretty much sh very short. It's a short read. It does, talks about his life and his sayings. I would start with wisdom. Crossing the Narrow Bridge is another one. Um, if you want a book more on, on Amuna, and what Rabbi Nachman says about Amuna, I would start with the Garden of Amuna and the Garden of Gratitude. So depending on what, what you're looking for. I mean, there's Rabbi Kramer has done, Rabbi Rush, they, They've expanded the markets with rest of teachings. If you want a book on one-liners, um, there's a book called Aleph Bet. You know, if you want a book on, uh, you know, paragraphs, you know, just not one-liners, but a little bit more, I would pick up a book called Advice. So either Advice, Wisdom, uh, Across the Narrow Bridge, Garden of Water, Garden of Gratitude, all those are a great starting point. Okay, this is a question from a viewer from Facebook. Both my parents have late stage of dementia. They're still alive, but I f feel like I'm mourning them. I find myself sad very often. How can I go forward in a more joyous way? Again, there's, we can't stop the grieving process. You know, there's a time to grieve. Right now, it's, it's hard. Again, it's very difficult. You know, when I was going, my son was sick for a year and a half in the hospital. You know, there was, it was a major struggle. It was a major struggle to fight for happiness. And, you know, luckily I found proper escapes, such as the classes and, and such as charity and such as, you know, communal prayer. Um, but there's a time to grieve. There's a grand time to grieve. And you have to allow yourself the time to grieve also. You can't just, this is not just about feeling good all the time. There's a time to have a broken heart. Shalom HaMelech says there's 28 times. There's a time to cry, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to build, there's a time for that. Everything passes, but there's also time to grieve. And I think this is what you're feeling. It's okay, you don't have to always feel great. You can say, I'm brokenhearted right now. What can I do? There's a time to do everything, you understand? You know, today I had, a, I had very challenging news today on a business deal, you know, 10 o'clock, and I left my office. I'm like, Right now, I can't work with this. I went to go to the spa. I went to go just get my mind off of everything. That's not a time to work right now. When your head is completely, you know, when you get tremendous news like that, and you have to go, you have to go and at least take the edge off. I went to go, I went to the spa. I, went, I did something else just to get me out of that mindset. So there's a time for everything. It's not, we're not, you don't have to always be one way in the month. You know, there's a time to run, there's a time. There's different times that we need to understand that. So one of the questions is, with all the pressure coming from the government in regards to the vaccine, and the person doesn't want to get vaccinated, what's the best way to approach that? 
Move to Florida. I hear your struggle. I hear it. It's a, this is beyond. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I, my, you know, my wife doesn't want me to go to New York now because of all these vaccine mandates. It's, it's, it's a major headache. Um, it's, it's a challenging situation. I mean, thank God in Florida we have a normal person running the running the show here. But I, I, I can't even imagine what's going on over there. It's very difficult. But move to Florida, I will tell you to do that. It's just, there's no, there's no sechel, there's no logic anymore. Everything's just madness and, and, and craziness. It's getting worse and worse. But Florida, we're pretty doing. It's not easy to move to Florida. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer to that. But I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Listen, I had, I had COVID. I don't know why I would have to go get vaccinated if I have antibodies. I mean, I just, why would I go, you know, go get vaccinated if I already have antibodies? I'm not against it, but if you had it already, I mean, what's the, what's the point? You know, we want to we want to go on to bigger and better things, Douglas. Okay, there's a lot of questions here. What do you think you're here for, Uriel? That yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how can, okay, so how can how can one build? up their self and their confidence and self-esteem. What's the best way to build your confidence and self-esteem? Action. Action. When we're taking action, we're showing that we're investing in our future self. Action is the most important thing. Getting going. Getting going, no matter what. If you fail, you win, you're not. Getting going is the most important thing. Just taking action. Investing in oneself. Loving oneself putting time in oneself, delayed gratification, all of these things where you start showing self-control, you start showing action, you start showing investment in the future self is a great way. Getting out of your comfort zone is a tremendous way to build your self-esteem. Becoming more knowledgeable, learning more, which means when you learn more, you recognize you'll be less insulted by other people because you won't make everything about you. So these are all areas where we can build our self-esteem. I think we have we have a class, 13 ways to build self-esteem. But action is one of the most important things you can do. Okay. The next question is, when going to a Sadiq's kever, who are you praying to? Should we only pray to Hashem? Absolutely. You only pray to Hashem, but you're also praying in the merits of this holy place that you're at. Just like in the wall, when we go to the wall of the, the Western Wall, you're praying to Hashem. But you're praying in the merit in this of the in the, in the Beit Hamikdash in the wall, this holy place. So of course, you pray only to Hashem. But in the merit of, of the tzaddik that's buried there, you pray to Hashem. So well, the next question is: What are your views and stance in regards to affirmation? Do you personally say them and use them to, you know, put what you I, want? But I, I don't. I'm not saying I don't, I use deadlines. I like deadlines more. I hit deadlines, affirmations, I, I don't do that much because it's, I, I'm like, I, my action does more than my words. I like to do more than talk. Um, but Nachman always said that, do more than talk. You know, I have trust, I have trust, I have trust. Okay, you have trust, go open up a business. That, there's nothing greater than action. Versus just sometimes we, we, we just too much of affirmations. The problem is affirmations, when you don't believe them, you have a problem. 
But again, it could work for some other people, but I, it's never worked. Those never work for me. Um, taking action, hitting deadlines, showing that I can get through difficult situations, that really helped me more than talking about it. But, it, it, but to other people, it, it could help. But I, there's nothing like action. There's nothing like action. Nothing like it. Because you're conquering your fear when you're taking action. You're breaking, you're breaking everything, you're creating a new identity versus trying to fix a behavior. So you just mentioned belief. So how important of beliefs in anything that you do in life? How important is, you know, putting belief in an equation or an approach that anyone needs to take? It's the first thing you have to work on because all actions are belief driven. Everything you do is based on what you believe. Whether you go to the gym is how what you view exercise. You view exercise as a gift, you view exercise as a chore. Your marriage, you believe your marriage is an opportunity for you to, um, to get blessings from your creator, then you're gonna put a lot of energy. Um, wherever you put your belief is, is where you put energy. If you believe, if anytime you put a, a high effort in something, is because you believe in that situation. Anytime you, you put a low effort in something, it's because you, you don't believe in that situation, pretty much. Beliefs are the core to getting things done. You change your beliefs, you change everything. I, when I, before I started getting into Ramnachman, I viewed my belief that prayer was exhausting, old. I used to walk into synagogues, like, what am I here for? And then I, after I got into Ramnachman's teachings and, and he taught me the gift of prayer and, and an empowering experience and the energy. Now I changed my belief about prayer. And I said, wow, prayer is energy. Prayer is not draining. So I changed my whole system of beliefs on, on prayer, on Torah, on, on you know, I, I believe Eli Stefanski is, is a wonderful, um, he's a Magad Shuri who does the eight-minute daf. Um, you know, he's changed the whole, you know, changed the whole daf yomi. People now are excited to learn the daf instead of before the daf became very heavy. So he changed the belief of what learning daf is. And he's done a phenomenal job. So that's a primary example how beliefs change outcomes. Beliefs change actions. Okay, so this is a heavy question. I have an issue with my mother-in-law. I tried to speak into her and she said Shabbat Shalom and, and uh, hold on. I tried speaking to her and said Shabbat Shalom and she refused to talk to me. However, I heard her cursing me at me. What should I do for Hanukkah? Should I go to her house and pretend that I didn't hear her cursing at me? Basically, she wished her death and just let it go or should I approach her and talk to her? Bernachman says the way to combat a person with an evil eye is with a good eye. That's one approach. One approach could be give, shower her with love. Shower her, send her love, kill her with kindness. I would start with killing with kindness. And if that doesn't work, you can ask another question. But what I've done with difficult people, kill them with kindness. They don't know what to do. They get embarrassed over what they said to you. So I would start with the killing with kindness. It usually works. Maybe she was having a bad day and she cursed you. I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I started with killing with kindness. Bigger people don't seek revenge. Bigger people send people mercy. That's the difference. When you get to a higher level of consciousness, you won't take it personal. You'll say maybe she was hurt that day. 
you know, she's confused. You have to send her mercy and forgive. So what's the best book to get for someone who has anger issues? Um, Never Get Angry Again. That's a good book. Never Get Angry Again. Uh, Moroccans for Dummies 101. I'm just kidding. Um, I would say Never Get Angry Again. Start with that one. Because it's usually anger is very connected to control. If you have a problem with control, you have a problem with anger. Anything that David, anything that David Lieberman is really good. David Lieberman really, really has a great books on anger. What about Let It Go, that book? Let It Go is also phenomenal for the anger. Yeah. Absolutely. Let It Go and Never Get Angry Again. Because remember, anger is something we hold inside. It's not something that happens outside. It's an internal thing, but it becomes external when we, when we get triggered or when we lose control. Okay, so I've been working in finance for the past two years after graduating college, but after listening to your classes for some time now, I have a strong desire to help others, which leads me to believe I may be on the wrong career path. What is the best way I can know I'm fulfilling Hashem's will in my career? I want to help others as a therapist, but I don't know if I'm putting myself in financial danger. Yeah, don't quit your job. Start small. You, know, you want to help people? Start with a weekend thing. You know, do a, do a YouTube class or do something small. Um, don't quit your day job um, until you are, you know, God forbid, you know, set up. But don't, don't quit. Start small. Start, you know, with a group of people. You know, how did I start the class? It started with five people. And it took off itself. It came to me. I didn't even, I, I never prayed to be a public speaker. I never prayed to do this. I just had good intentions. I really believed in what Matthew's teachings. The rest was history. I, I never prayed for this, planned on doing this in a million years. So if it's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to you. But do it first out of love and passion. But do not quit your job. I need I need Chizik to come on time to davening. I'm also also struggling with getting to, to Minyan on time. Uh, it feels very wrong to go walk in late. What could I do? Rabbi Nachman says your level of amuna is your level of zealousness. So look at it that way. The more zealous you are, the, 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 the but again, it's good to go. It's good to go. It's better, again, it's better to be late than, than, than not to go at all. Um, but you should try to just look at it as you're talking to your creator and you would never show up late to a meeting with a big buyer. So you would never, again, I'm not, I'm not always on time myself, um, but you just have to try a little bit, little bit. You just try to have more energy and look at it as an opportunity, not, not as an obligation. I struggled with that myself, you know, because I was doing my thing in the morning. And I'm like, you know, I'm bothered because I'm coming in halfway. It's, it's a little bit rude to come in halfway to, to a prayer. And then I changed it. And I prayed that I should get there earlier. And thank God I've been able to do that. Because when you start rushing the prayer, it goes nowhere. Also, that's also a problem. You start getting rushing in. You're just always playing catch up. You don't feel like you did anything.
Okay, this is another question. When healing from the past, you speak about letting things, loading things off onto Hashem and letting Him know how you feel. But after, but, but even if after you told Him the things, the past keeps hurting you and haunting you and it keeps coming up. Do you confront the person that hurt you or leave it and let it just be and keep moving along? Sometimes you have to express yourself. There's times where you have to express, you know, express whatever we went through and unlearn and take, you know, so you just say when you have something worrying in your heart, express it to others. I would say you have you need closure in that area in your life. I would say do express it. And then recognize that they only did that to you because they were hurt. People hurt others. Hurt people hurt others. Period. When you're not in a good mood, you snap at people. We're not nice to people. We're not in a good mood. So we do it to other people. So we can pretty much say that when people do it to us, it's because they were hurt themselves. So you have to send them mercy and recognize that they only did it because they were hurt. You can confront them, but recognize the major topic is I should have been so insulted because if I would have recognized that it wasn't about me, then you wouldn't feel so upset and hold on so long. Okay, my my friend is sending her daughter to college and says she's very stressed about money. I feel bad that she's stressed. She's a single mom. She did not ask me for money. However, I'm complicating compl uh, lending her the money, but it feels scary to lend someone money, even to a friend. What do you recommend? When I whenever ever I lend money, I usually give it as gift because you don't get it back. Uh, you know, just give her something. If you feel in your heart you want to be compassionate, give her something where you can where you can afford to lose. Because if you if you give it as a gift, then you don't lose a friendship out of it. Because if they don't pay it back, it's awkward, and they look at you the wrong way. And anytime I've I've seen given all of a sudden I've loaned people money, and they you know they look they're turning their face at me, and I'm the one that helped them. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, pretty ridiculous. But this is why I'd rather gift it to people. Usually, I don't know. You don't. You don't usually get that money back. Usually, so I, I would say give what you can, so you don't. It doesn't hurt you. But if it's going to hurt you too much, don't don't do it. Okay. The next question is: This person has been has been going through a lot of pain because they just had a divorce. However, they feel like they could date again. Yet again, their self-esteem is extremely low. So should this person be working on their self-esteem and they should wait till the, they heal un until they start dating again? And could they just say that the, the marriage and dating is going to heal it? No. No, it will not heal it. You know, like I always say, when, you're, when you have low self-esteem, it's like finding a business partner in bankruptcy court. Don't expect... When you're, you, because you, you, once you feel better about yourself and once you start working on your self-esteem by processing and healing, you're going to want a better person. You will not sell for the same person that you would have gone out with just to check a box. Because remember, that's also a problem. When you have low self-esteem, you don't want to be lonely. So we'd rather just get into a relationship even though it's the wrong one and we'll justify it. And then all of a sudden, now you have two problems. Now you're back into another toxic relationship. You still have the low self-esteem and here you're at. You're, you're, now you're at now you got now you got a triple whammy here because you never healed. So don't just jump into a relationship unless you yourself know who you are, you love yourself, and you're able to now get into a relationship 
without constantly be, you know getting insulted and or, or, or making a thing about you because when you have low self-esteem you become very needy and people that that don't like needy people they need a space you know imagine getting having low self-esteem and that person tells you listen i need some space and you're going to say oh they don't love me you see it's happening again it's just you're going to create a, a tremendous cycle of of more failure more failure so definitely you need to heal first absolutely to heal before you get into a relationship. Okay, so this next question is is a student in a graduate program. How do I know when is the right time to get married, even though I'm still in a graduate program? How do you know it's the right time to get married? Hmm. I mean, listen, depending on also who you, who you, who you find, like sometimes you can find a very special person that they're willing to grow with you. Um, you know, it's, it's depending on the, really the situation that that special person's in your life and you say that, you know, this is something that you can grow together and just willing to have patience with you, then that could be a wonderful match. You know, our sages say get married younger because we could be saved from sin. You know, we could be saved from that forbid other things. And once you get older, we become pick, pickier. So I, I would I like younger because you, you become less picky. And once you get older, you just become more picky and more in your ways, and it becomes much more harder. But somebody that's willing to be simple and grow with you—that's usually the best matches. Okay. The next question is: I have a son who suffers from severe mental Ill illness. He's gone to using drugs and is in jail now. Can our prayers work to change someone else? Absolutely. But between you and me, my admissions coordinator, who works for me now, is very similar to that story. Since the jail was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. He, he became so spiritual in jail. He got out, he spent four, three, three years in jail and come out, he came out of there a completely different person. So sometimes jail can actually heal him, believe it or not. So what you have to do is Hashem keep on doing what's best for him. Not necessarily taken out, because maybe it's very good for him to be there right now. Maybe that's healing him. So you really want to say, do what you think is best for him. I don't know if it's better if you take him out, if you don't take him out, maybe he's going to heal there. Whatever is best for him and his higher purpose, please do. That's more of an effective prayer than you wanting him out, meanwhile, it could be a disaster if it comes out. It would be more beneficial if he's, if he's there. Okay, great. I was advised to reconcile with my estranged father, but was very, that was very abusive and absent most of my childhood. I do not want to give, give, I do not want to have him in my life and reconcile with him but don't want that strained energy to hold me back in life. Any suggestions for not letting that lack of a relationship ruin the rest of my life? Yeah, I mean, that person has already controlled how many years of your life? 20, 15, 10? Don't you want your, your power back? Don't you want control back in your life? Anytime somebody controls your life for a certain amount of years, forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. You are the one benefit, not them. So when you're saying, how could I not forgive them? You really you want, to, you want to run after forgiving him because you recognize he did it to you 
because he was not well. He was not well. If he was well, he wouldn't have treated you like that. So you want to forgive him because you want to move on. Forgiveness will, will keep you out of prison. Now you're in a mental prison because you're still stuck in the past because of the situation. You want to get out of prison. You want to be liberated by forgiveness. A great book is called The Gift by Edith Ager. Phenomenal book. If you want to just read that book before you do it, it will give you tremendous pointers on how to deal with the situation. So there's another question someone asked. A lot of men basically are going out and they're saying that they don't want to have children, that they have nieces and nephews, and they don't look forward to having children. What's the best way to approach these type of guys and explaining to them how important having children is? It's one of the first mitzvot. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's a problem. You want to have children because otherwise, you know, you want to give. Children are very, very important. You want to give. You know, depending on the, the type of lifestyle that person's living, you know, sometimes that, you know, person is sometimes is used to his own lifestyle and is going to be bothered. You know, if, if you need children, then that's not the guy for you. So you don't always want to, remember, the problem is when you force somebody to have children, and then now that the children act the wrong way, he's going to resent and say, "Look what you did to my life." So you can't, you can't, you can't win. <laughs> you can't win that way. You don't, you don't want to force people to do something. They should want to do it on their own because then you're going to be the, the, the you're going to be, you're going to be the one that they're going to resent because of that situation. We'll take five more questions, Uriel. So nine thirty. Sure. Cool. So how should one pray? Basically, believe in what is and what will happen to you or just st start towards believing it and it will happen. So basically, the question is, do you take the step or just believe that it's going to happen? It's a very loaded question. Yeah. Uh, read the perfect prayer. There's a, there's a class called the perfect prayer. Maybe send that one. Spiritually, you usually get what you ask for. Financially and other things, it's usually a condition on merit. On it's a little more complicated when it comes to financial and other issues. Um, you have to create a heavenly need for it. That's usually the best way to get something. Um, you know, if you want, if you just, you know, I, I need another house so I can be more comfortable. It's usually in reverse. When you feel abundant and you feel happy, your creator usually gives you things that you would never imagine. So the best way is really not to, not so much to run after, but more to attract. If someone is struggling with losing one of their loved ones, are they allowed to go to a medium? Does that, does it affect the person's neshama? I would not go to a medium. It's not going to go into it. Now, what are they going to do for you? What is the medium telling Everybody comes in this world on a mission. They're given a certain amount of years, and the mission's done. Rav Nachman died 38. Okay? He says, I have nothing else to do in this world. Forget the tuberculosis. He really died because there was nothing left for him to do. He did the mission. Are you a captain? Died at 33. You're a result. Died at 33. There's certain, you have to, you have to come to the, to the point 
where this world is only temporary. We're just stuck in this world. And I know it's very frightening for that to, say, to tell people, but reading Rabbi Nachman's teachings for 20 something years, he doesn't have this permanent Allah Hazeg mindset. He has more like you're, you're here, you're here to do a mission, you're, you're a passenger, grab as much as you can, and there'll be, a, there'll be a time. And he doesn't look at it as bad. Look at his back. Looks as it's as moving from one room to another room. Hope that helps. So, what's the best way to define that? Consciousness, perspective, wisdom. That's that. Your consciousness, your perspective. It's a combination between Hafma and Bina, which is wisdom, which is which is light, wisdom. Hafma is wisdom. Being is understanding. Once you have wisdom and understanding, you have that. That is a, is a result of, I have a 5,000 square foot house. I want to build a 5,000 square foot house. And my wife tells me I can only build a 4,000 square foot house because the lot doesn't match it. And then all of a sudden I say, okay, you're right. So now the dot is to recognize that I can only build 4,000 square foot. That is that. You have to be able to take it all, you have to take the right and the left and make it all into one. The right is always wants a lot of light, vision. The, the left is more of a decision. It's more constriction. So when you take Chokhmah and Bina, the right side of your brain, the left side of your brain, that, the combination of those two becomes that. So when you say that anxiety is a lack of that, what if the person is being told by the therapist that it's an it's it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. How does he's able to do to fix the chemical imbalance and how does one acquire more dot when the chemical? Okay, there is there is people that have a high tendency to, to anxiety, and just like people are medically depressed. So obviously, but you you would have to you, you do a lot of meditation, but just the awareness you could do. For example, you can get into heavy breathing. Breathing keeps you in the moment. So the way I could deal with it, for example, anxiety, if I'm anxious, I'm not afraid of the anxiety, it's a feeling. And then what I do is I get into my breath, I calm, I calm down, and then I recognize the reason why I, I'm anxious in the first place is because I'm not aware of what I'm doing. I'm thinking about something else. So we have to exit our mind and enter the moment. So some tools that will teach you with anxiety is, is, is how to bring back to the present. So meditation, brings you back to the present. Um, exercise brings you back to the present. Um, prayer brings you back to the present. Um, breathing brings you back to the present. So I would start doing little, little, some of these little habits, meditating, working out. Um, you know, when I meditate, I'm, I'm in the present. When, I, when I'm working out, after I work out, I'm focused. Science is telling you after you work out, it's like taking Ritalin. Um, you're completely focused. Um, you know, when I, when I, when I breathe, Wim Hof, present in the moment. So there's a lot of things you could do to basically cut into that anxiety and get more into the moment. Should I ask Try breathing, try meditating, breathing and exercising and see if that, if that completely does not help you out with that. Do you want to take more questions? We'll take one more.
so many people in their 30s and 40s are getting through their workday or dating while struggling with comp complex traumas they're trying to which they're trying to manage how do you handle a situation where it's clear the other person's trauma is informing their decision or actions and it's not pure logic welcome to these classes we're trying to get people to recognize they are not their trauma um, it's it's a big problem there's the majority of the world does not know how to deal with trauma they do not know how to deal with trauma everybody's holding on to dead weight and just shoving it to other people and it's a problem it's it's this is one of the reasons why i do these classes to get people to like you know we could process this and we could turn the post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth but you're right most people with trauma they don't even want to listen even when you're trying to help them they're like i don't want to listen i'm good so so you're really sometimes stuck i would say you have one thing i would tell you this if you're going to go get married or date etc Make sure you have somebody that's open-minded and that's willing to learn and work on themselves. Because if they're willing to work, learn and work on themselves, they hate humility. For people that don't want to work on themselves, you know, and just, you know, it's stuck in the past. It's, it's not going to be much fun. It's not a fun relationship. So I always recommend people get people that are hungrier to work on themselves, to process them. You know, you can heal through therapy. You can heal through therapy. You can heal through Torah. All of this can heal you. But there's not one of us in this world that does not have trauma. It's part of the creation. So we need to know how to deal with it. We need to know how to work with the Muna. Because if we're having a hard time with the Muna, we're going to have a hard time with trauma. All right? All right. I think we should wrap it up. Ladies right. and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Just keep an eye out on the WhatsApp groups, on Facebook and Instagram for upcoming events. If you're not on Instagram, if you're not on WhatsApp, please send me a message. I will gladly send you the phone number or link let me actually give you the phone number right now if you want to write it down please have a pen and paper uh, give me one second i didn't fully memorize it it's 305 290-1492. Again, 305-290-1492. Send a message and I'll be more than happy to direct you to whatever other questions you have and information about upcoming events. Gedalia, thank you very much. Have a great Thanks night. So much, guys. guys, have a good night.